Uh, pleasure to be here. I- excited to dive into this word. Please join me in prayer. Gracious God, we need your, your illumination of the spirit. We need you to overcome our hardness of our hearts and the, and the weakness of our minds. We need you to conquer our souls and illuminate the realities that are here in this text for us. Take this time, sanctify us, call us to yourself, convict us, encourage us, mold us. Let your word come forth as it is true and it is life for us. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. So this passage, you may have heard this passage preached before, but it's got some really significant verses in it. Think about these. Verse 15, it says, for I do not understand my own actions. Uh, verse 18, I, uh, I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't actually have the ability to carry it out. Verse 24, he concludes, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? So you see this real struggle, but then he goes on to say, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And that leads to 8 verse 1 says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation, there's no guilt, there's no punishment. Isn't this the spectrum of the gospel that we see in these these verses? You see both both the conviction of sin, but you also see the gospel and you see grace and you you get the whole spectrum of life, including the struggle that you and I have with sin and with our own actions with our own stance before God. It really covers everything. It's, it covers the excitement of knowing the gospel. Your salvation is secure in Christ and also the misery after we fall to our sin. This, this passage was designed to be encouraging. It's placed here to be encouraging, educating and encouraging for us. Um, as a young Christian, I, I very wet behind the ears, I... Uh, was converted at a church that was uh, preached the gospel, but then it had the philosophy of you heard the gospel, you received the gospel, now go, just go. That's all behind. And they were focused on the things that were in the future, which is right. We, uh, Second Timothy, we're created for good works, but forget about the past. There wasn't much time to go back and rehearse, rehash all that. But shortly after that, I, I sent a call to ministry myself, and it was actually uh, your previous pastor that told me, hey, go get an education. And so my family moved to South Carolina, and, and we, we stumbled upon a church, and I stumbled upon some elders and started to dig into some theology and some reading. I just started to discover there's so much in the past. We are not the first people to think about these truths. 2,000 years, and the church has gone up and down, and wise men have written, and women have lived, and there's so much there, and I started to dive into these things, and I started to see a little separation, whereas maybe in my previous church, uh, not this one, the, um, and, and other churches that I had seen, there's this idea that you go and you grow. You go and you grow. You, you might stumble, but you're always growing. You're always getting better, and as I was diving into these truths, I was seeing, one, there's a complexity to Christianity. Yes, it's as a shallow a pool that even a, a, a child, I have a special needs boy, he can get the gospel. But the smartest men in the whole room and the smartest people in the whole world can never uh, search the depths of it. So I saw that there's a complexity. It's not as easy, but I also saw in my own heart 
that as life went on four or five years after becoming a Christian, my sanctification wasn't where I wanted it to be. My holiness wasn't as straight of a walk as I had hoped or I'd assumed was the right way. And I remember going to this church and it was a, a, a church. Remember if you've ever heard like Charles Spurgeon or Martin Lloyd-Jones or who, whoever, Billy Graham, and people would just clamor to the church, you know, uh, unreasonable to hear the word of God preach. Well, there so happens to be this minister from Scotland named Sinclair Ferguson at this historic old church that was there during the Civil War. And Sunday evenings, Sunday evenings, not Sunday morning, Sunday evenings, people were coming to church after already having gone Sunday morning to hear this guy preach because it almost just his Scottish accent, accent took you back to the Reformation. And he just was a, such a dynamic preacher. And I remember going and he was going to be preaching on Romans 7. And Romans 7, is this talking about a Christian or is this talking about a non-Christian? And I remember going there and just thinking, I, I, who's it talking about? Because I see so much of myself in this. And as he preached and he broke down the text, somewhere in there, he said, this is me too. This guy who's on the pinnacle, this guy who's at the climax, who knows all the right answers, and I've seen him live a godly life. He says, this passage demonstrates me too. The Christian life, saints, is a battle. Uh, Charles Hodge has these quotes. He says, the more holy we are, the clearer our view of God's law is. And the clearer our view of God's law is, the clearer is the sense of our own sin. And he goes on to say this. He says, if our uh, religious experience, talking about Christian life, does not correspond to the Christian, to the experience of God's people detailed in the scriptures, we cannot be a true Christian. Unless we have felt what Paul felt, unless we have felt the struggle that Paul felt. He's saying, this isn't just a, 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 a oh, sometimes we can fall and some saints are going to struggle with it. This is the normal Christian life, saints. Oh, wretched man or woman that I am. I should be here, but now I'm here. You are there in glory, and I should be looking here, and I look over here. This is the normal Christian life. So uh, often people look at this text. If you're a reader of scripture, we come is this, with the question, is this uh, uh, talking about a Christian or not Christian? And that has nothing to do with what's in mind here uh, for Paul. And neither as us as here is for, of course, it's talking about the Christian life. First John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and we're a liar. No, this passage, the concern of this passage is to encourage us saints that are pilgrimaging towards eternity, pilgriming and exiles on this world, uh, both having the glory of Christ, having it, but also not yet. That's us. This is a, a passage for those who say things like Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I know I shouldn't do, I do. Oh, wretched man. That's who this passage is for. Simple outline, the, the law the gospel, and then the anatomy of the believer. And, and I know this passage seems um, a lot of detail. There's a ton of theology, but it's one of the most practical passages in, that I've come across in a long time. 
studying this this week, I was just illuminated to another level and understanding of the trial. So first we got to talk about the law because in chapter seven, it's, it's listed 23 times. It talks about the law. So we, so we can't pass over that. Um, Here's, here, here's the idea. We are not living, you are not living, nobody on this planet is living without a guide as to how God, the creator of the heavens and earth, wants us to live. God created the world. God's the owner of the world. He's in charge of the world. And so he gets to uh, say what it's like and, and what we ought to do. So and we are blessed. He has revealed his will. We are not without knowledge about what God wants us to do or what is right and wrong. We are, he has revealed his will to us. And he most clearly revealed his will on Mount Sinai to the people of Israel. And it's summarized in the Ten Commandments found in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And in this law, the Ten Commandments, it relates both how do we relate to this God that you owe all diligence, all money, all effort, all honor, all praise to. How do you relate to him? And also, how do you relate to the person sitting next to the pew in you or the man or woman out on the street or to your boss or to your children? It covers all the bases, all the situations that we fall into. It's either clearly described what we ought to do or through wisdom of it, we, we should know how. So what's the problem? What's the problem with the law? Well, the problem with the law is it's a law. Therefore, when you don't live perfectly according to it, it's called a trespass. A trespass is called a sin. You have, God puts up his, his barriers. And if, if you cross that, it's called trespassing. It's called sin. And the consequence of sin is death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So Israel has the law, right? God revealed it to them. You have the law in front of us. You know what God's will is for our life. But the reality is everyone has the law. Paul will even say in Romans chapter 2, he says the Gentiles, and this is talking 2,000 years, he says the Gentiles who do not have the law of God, they have not heard of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They don't know Moses. They don't have the Ten Commandments. But when the Gentiles who do what is right according to the law show that the law is written on their hearts. Go home today and take uh, uh, any piece of equipment that you have, won't do that with the Lord's Supper, but anything, and it'll tell you where it's made. It's got a stamp on it. Do you think God did not put a stamp on us? People in India, people in Alaska, people in Somalia, people in Chula Vista, God has put his stamp on us. He has written his law on our hearts. And so we are all under the law. And the problem is, is God has revealed this law to us. And we don't stand up according to it. Because as uh, James says, um, if you are to keep the law, you must keep the whole law. Every part of it. You can't fall in one part and be accepted in all of it. If you fall in one part, the whole thing's done. The whole canvas is ruined. It's broken. So that's, that, that's, we have the revealed law, and the problem is we're, 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 we're under it. Now, we don't talk about the law a lot, do we? How often have you guys thought about the law, explained to your children about the law? I, I, I don't, we're not that familiar with it, but when I talk about the law of God, I'm not talking something in, happened in history and it's gone. They can't find the, the, uh, the, the, the um, what's the, the what? 
ark, ark with the tablets in it. It's, it's, this is an artifact. The law exists right now. God's law is right now. Uh, man comes up with laws and, and, and cities crumble and governments crumble and laws fade away. God's law never fades away. All of his laws still stand true. On judgment day, when we face God, what are you going to be judged according to? The law. The law is still condemns. Now, this, this should cause us a, 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 being uncomfortable, and rightfully so, some of us. The law has revealed, God has revealed his law. Uh, and, and we think that's good, but it's, it's, it's not good in a sense because um, the law for us then is a curse. And it's still a curse. The law is a curse. It's not because the law is bad, but that's why Paul would say, uh, go on to say, is, is the law evil? And, and he'll say, no, the law is, nothing's wrong with the law, but it's a curse for us. And he says that not just here, but in Galatians 3.13, it's a curse for us. It's something that we can't get rid of. It's something that condemns us because we can't keep it. Paul, Paul goes on to say, it, 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 is, it is not good for us. The law itself is good, but it's, it, it, this means a bad story for us because he'll go on to say in chapter 7 that basically it totally, utterly, and relentlessly condemns you and me. Uh, the, the law, the, the first ten, the ten commandments, you, let's say you wake up in the morning, you stub your toe, and you, you curse comes, God, you know, you, there's the first law, or the second law, you, do not take Lord's name in vain. Um, you're uh, you, you get a text or a call from your parent, and you, you, you don't answer it. Boom, there goes the fifth law. You're not honoring your father and your mother. You're scrolling on Instagram, and you, you, men, women, you come across a, 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 a man or a woman that you're, you shouldn't be looking at, and you, you stay there too long. Boom, that's adultery. You're, you're on Facebook, and you hate the way that things are going, and you put a comment that's hateful towards it. There's a, uh, you're committing murder. We are condemned according to law. The law still stands. Why is it that the law is so difficult for us? Why is it so bad for us? Well, Romans 8 is built upon 5 and 6 and 7. And in these verses, it explains this uh, very difficult reality that is your and my reality that um, we all descend from Adam. In this room, there are people from different nationalities, different sizes, different colors, different ethnic backgrounds, different languages. Uh, but we all descend from Adam. And Adam was tempted in the garden. Adam was in a test in the garden, and he failed. And when he failed, we all fell. This is, go home tonight and read Romans 5, verses 12 and following. Romans 5, 19 says, For by one man's disobedience, all were made sinners. And this really is all, all, you, me, our children, your grandchildren. Uh, 5.12, sin came into the world through this one man and death through sin. Why do people die? Why do you, why do you have to go to the memorial service? Because Adam fell. And that's the consequence of sin. So we all fall. In short, we have a sinful, fallen human nature. It's, all, it's like the hawk. You know the hawk, normal guy, but inside is this guy that just he can't control and comes out and destroys everything. We all have a hidden man within us, and it hates the law to God. And it says, don't, you don't tell me what to do. That's not fair. I'm not going to obey that. I don't have to listen. The fallen nature is rebellious against God, and it's, and it's uh, bold, but the reality is 
in Romans chapter 6, it shows that it's a slave. It's not powerful. It's not strong. It's not independent. It's a slave. It's a slave to sin. It's a slave to obey the passions of its own desires. This is the story of the Bible, isn't it? That God came and he revealed himself. He worked miracles in front of them. He, he, He gave signs, wonders at you and I. But Israel couldn't overcome the sin nature in them. They couldn't obey God. So there is the law. And there is us. The law is good, but we are sinners. And verse 18 says, Paul says, I know within me that nothing good dwells. That is nothing in my flesh. We always rebel against God. Therefore, all of us are always under his judgment before Christ, without Christ, always under his judgment. Every single person for all have sinned. But then there's also the gospel in here. I had this dream. I had this dream that I was sent to hell. Probably happened about 10 years ago. I don't think it was literal hell. It's a dream. Uh, But I think it painted a picture that has been very helpful in my life. And I was in hell, and there was this mosh pit. And it was just dark. It was like barren Mars, except the colors weren't red. They were just green and gray, and it was awful. And there's this mosh pit of men and women. Our bodies were bloated, and and it was just this suffering. And there were big uh, guards, like monsters, all around this pit. And there's this big pole in the center. And, And we had to climb the pole and jump down. But every time we jumped down, we were jumping down on the people. I mean, they were neck to neck, tighter, no room. And as you'd fall, you could feel the bones under the people crushing you. And it was this misery of just this darkness and this despair of, there was no hope. And this dream lasted for a while. And you could just, I could feel the despair and the brokenness and the the, the gnashing, and we were just enslaved to it. Well, that is very much like the reality of, uh, of the human life. We are enslaved. It might not be dark or gloomy, but it will be. At some point, this world will end or our life will end. And without Christ, we will enter that judgment. But take that picture of this dark, gloomy pit, and in comes Jesus, which is this overwhelming light, and just boom, burst forth. And there's color, and there's rebirth. And like Ezekiel and the dry bones, people's bodies are healed and made whole because God sent his own son on a mission to redeem. And Jesus did come in the flesh. God became man and he lived that perfect life. He lived a law-abiding, abiding life. Every commandment he perfectly obeyed. There was no lustful thought. There was no greedy thought. There was no covetous thought. There was no dishonoring of his parents. He only had one true God and he worshiped him with all heart, mind, soul, and strength. Christ fulfilled the law perfectly. And then he, he, so he obeyed the law, but then he also paid the penalty for us breaking it. And that's why he died on the cross. Nails driven through his hands, whipped and beaten, hanging on there for like six hours, and then dying and going into the grave. But then you know the story, as we sang about, God raised him from the dead and up from the dead, and he showed himself for over 500 people. This was all part of God's plan. And Paul in Romans chapter 5 says, there was the first Adam, which I talked about earlier, which death and sin came through. But then there's a second Adam, Christ, through whom justification and righteousness and freedom from the law comes. And that's what Paul is really talking about in in chapter 7, that there's freedom from the law. 
Uh, and, and there's these amazing effects. Romans 8, 2 through 4. Look at this. Paul says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, weakened by our sinful flesh, that we could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Jesus condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled of us who walk, not, walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So Jesus Christ and redeemed us. And here's the actual effects that took place to us, those slaves. Romans 6 verse 6 says, you must know that our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Something happened to that man. Something happened to that woman, you and I, that were under the law and, and, and couldn't obey and we only wanted to please ourselves and we had to obey the passions of our own body. Something happened. It was crucified with Christ. And therefore, Paul says, you now have a choice. Chapter 6 is all about you have this choice. You no longer have to let sin reign in your body. You don't have to let it control the passions of your flesh. The natural man does. The unregenerate person does. They have no other choice. But you now have been crucified with Christ. That old man has been killed and crucified with Christ. And now you may live and don't let sin reign in your body anymore. Don't let it be king. So because of the gospel, my relationship to sin has been changed. I no longer am a slave to it. My relationship to the law of God has changed. It's no longer through the law that I seek to be justified by God, right? Because that didn't go well. Look at Israel. We now have access to God and acceptance to God through grace, through the gospel. So we see a terrible story that there's a law that condemns us and we can't keep it, but we see the great story, the gospel that the old man has been died, that eternal life is ours through faith in Jesus Christ. So that's kind of the, 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 the groundwork. Then for the remainder of our time, we're going to ask the question, then what in the world does it mean when Paul says, and really every Christian says, I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. And I'm not talking, I'm talking hate. I'm talking hate. I don't want this. Why? I said I wouldn't do it again. But I do it. I have this desire, but I, 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 I can't even do what is right, and I can't carry out what is right. Oh, wretched man that I am. How does this come on? This is after what I just explained. I just explained the law was there. God saw the problem. God provided the solution. Jesus, Jesus came. Jesus didn't leave any stone unturned. He totally accomplished redemption. But why do we still struggle? That it, we'll understand it better when we get an understanding of the anatomy of the Christian believer. When you look at this passage, what we just read, you see multiple parts mentioned by Paul. And I, I, I tell you, I've, I've been a pastor for eight years. I've, I've never seen this. But it, it, it started to be illuminated and come out. You see multiple parts here. Look, verse 14, he says, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. So we, we see an aspect. We see flesh. Uh, verse 23, he's going to go on and talk about members, which is like your arms, your, 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 your hips, your legs, your members, your feet. He said, 
these are associated with the flesh. He says, the law of sin dwells in my members. Uh, and then another term that also applies to this same category, flesh members, is verse 24, who will save me from this body of death? So these are three different terms, but they're really pointing to this one part that Paul, the, the, the Christian, still has. This members, uh, uh, flesh, that uh, this body of death, and it's associated with sin dwells in there, and um, nothing good dwells in there. So that's the first part. This kind of uh, picture circles in your mind. Over here, you have this flesh, first part of the anatomy. The second part is uh, the inner being. Look at verse 22. It says, Paul says, for in my inner being, I delight in the law of God. This inner being in verse 22, this, this seems to be very different because in the flesh, he loves the law of sin. Uh, he, he can't not do, he doesn't like the law of God, but this inner being delights in the law of God. This is the renewed heart that Ezekiel and Ezekiel 36 says, where God has that passage long before this, and he says, I'm going to remove your heart of stone. Stone, it's impenetrable. It, it won't soak up anything. It's stubborn. I'm going to remove your heart of stone. I'm going to put in it a, a heart of flesh that is malleable. You, you can marinate it. And I'm going to, he says, I'm going to put my spirit in you and cause you to obey my statutes. That's what that's talking about, the inner man. is Also, the regenerated man. Ephesians chapter 4 says, put off the old man and put on the new man. It's the new man. He's talking about the new man. Verse 18, he says, in my inner being, I desire to do what God commands. And in uh, Romans 8, 9, the spirit of God dwells in you. This is a new part. This doesn't exist in the unregenerate man or woman. This is a new part of the anatomy. Like us, we don't get new parts. But in the Christian anatomy, you get a new part, it seems. You get an inner man. You get a regenerated heart. You get the, the spirit of God that dwells in you. This is something completely new. If you don't have Christ, you don't have this. That's why this can't be talking about somebody who is not a believer. He's talking about believers here. There is no believer out there who is in enmity with God that desires God's law, loves God's law, has the spirit dwelling in him. So one part, you have the flesh. The other part, you have this new man, this inner being. Here's the third part I think I can see. Verse 15, Paul says, I do things that I hate. He's saying, I have thoughts about this. I've thought about this. I've considered this in my mind. In my mind, I've thought about this. And in verse 23, he's in cl even clear. He says, the law of my mind the law of my mind. And he says, this in, in his mind is where he's seeing a battle waging in his mind. So biblical Christian anatomy, you have this flesh that is no good. You've always had it. You've had a mind. The mind is neutral, saints. Well, it's not neutral. Let me, let me back up. You have the, the, the other part is the new man, the new creation. And then you have the mind. The mind is not neutral. The mind, though, has been regenerated by Christ. The mind it has been, it knows what is good, it knows. But the mind can be manipulated. The mind can be deceived. 
That's the crazy thing about sin. I saw this and I circled it. Uh, Romans 7, 11 says, for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me, deceived me. Okay, saints, if I want to pick this up, my mind is telling my hand to pick this up. It might be my heart or my inner being that wants that up, but my mind has to work and do it, right? So the mind can be manipulated. Everything you do is because your mind is telling your body to do it. So why is Paul, who has the inner being, has the spirit of God dwelling in him, why you, who has God dwelling in you, if you're in Christ through faith, still do something that you hate? It's because sin deceives us, saints. Sin says, if you do this, you're going to be so satisfied. If you do this, your life's going to be better. If you do this, it's okay. Everybody else is doing it. If you do this, nobody sees. If you do this, God can't judge you. How can he expect? That's unreasonable exceptions. In a mind, our mind is deceived, and so we act and we do sin. The mind is the, is the battleground about which all these things are happening. That's why this is how we can understand that Paul is not being contradictory here. This is how he can say, I hate sin. I sin. It is not me who sins. This, this in every other spectrum would be contradictory. He'd be crazy. Um, I'm, I got a new grill uh, three weeks ago, and we grill almost every night. And I, I got these steaks that were way out of my price range, but they were half off, so they were going to expire. So I said, those are mine. Still out of my price range. So I set them on the table, and I've got these boys playing around me. This didn't happen. But let's say one of those boys came by and they bumped the stakes and they fell onto the ground where our cat pees and the kids sometimes pee. <laughs> I would have lost it on them. Let's say I lost it. I'm yelling, you stupid. Just lost it. Flesh just come flying out. But then my wife says, what is the world? She comes out there. And I said, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. That would make no sense. Because it doesn't make sense unless in this situation. Here is the point, saints. Christ has come in. Romans 6, 6 says that uh, you were crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin, body again, the body of sin might come to nothing. It was crucified. It is dead. God doesn't look at it. He doesn't judge it. That body is not what's going to earn you in the heaven. It's Christ's body. That body is dead but it's still present and it's always going to be present and it's never going to go away. And that's what we see. It's actually, when you get this, it's all over scripture. Even Ephesians four, Paul says, put off the old man and put on the new man. He's saying there is a choice. You can walk according to the flesh or, but he says, don't do that. They'll walk according to the spirit. What about Peter when Peter started to not eat with the Gentiles and go back and only eat with the Jews after, well after the conversion? He was walking in the old man. Galatians 5 says, walk by the spirit, not by the flesh. Romans 8, 23, it says the whole world groans for this redemption. And Paul even says, even we groan. Don't you groan, saints? You know one of the best things about heaven is I'm not going to have to fight sin anymore. If you're tired and you're exhausted, the fight's not going to last forever. 
But here's what happens if we don't have the anatomy. If we think I'm just one circle, I'm just Jeremiah and I'm a Christian. Jesus did all this for me. And then why am I such a, for lack of, adulteress on God? I'm such a bad Christian. Saints, you're, you're, you're forgetting. You, you have a sinful flesh. You have, it's always going to be there. You're no different. This man, this Sinclair Ferguson that I heard preach a decade ago, is at the top of the, the game, for lack of better words. He's, he's a Paul. Paul is writing Romans. It's one of his last letters. He's mature. And he still says, oh, wretched man that I am. Because have you noticed the saints? The more holy you get, the more mature you get, the more you understand God's law, the more sinful you see yourself, the more wretched you see yourself. And Paul cries out, oh, wretched man, who is going to save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. So this battle is not just yours. I want you to realize, here's application. You, have a, you are a walking sin bomb. You are a walking sin bomb. You can't get rid of this flesh. This flesh is going to be with you no matter what city you move in, no matter what job you have, no matter whether your wife does what you want her to do or doesn't. You're always going to have this sin. And this sin bomb will go off no matter what in certain situations. If, I, if you had a bomb around your neck and I said, if that bomb uh, gets within 20 feet of a red car, wouldn't you watch where you go? Red car, red car. And there's no turning it off. There's no MacGyver to stop you. There's, it's just going to go off. You would stay away from that red car. Well, you have a sin nature in you. And it's going to go off. In certain circumstances. That's why Paul, look with me. In, um, he says, verse 5 in Romans 8, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the mind. They set their mind on the thing of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit. Um, if, you, if you take any one of us and put us in, if you watch HGTV all day, what do you think you're going to do? Your inner hawk, sinner, covetingness is going to come out. If you take a man and you put him near a strip club, what's going to happen? Sin is going to come out. This is, saints, we, here's the, what you do. You can't get rid of the old man. You're not judged by the old man. That's why Paul says there's no condemnation for you, sinners, because Christ has made you saints. No condemnation, but now we want to walk in a way that pleases God. So walk smart. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Speak truth to one another. Speak pure words to one another. Come to church. Open up your Bibles. Do Bible studies. The church is, 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 is suffering. We're anemic with the word of God. We need more word of God. This is what will save you. Even good Christian fellowship won't save you. Unless it's fellowship that's centered on the word. I heard a pastor talk about, we always talk about the word like food. Like you need to eat. And that's true. But food's very different. You get hungry and you eat and then you're full and you stop eating. The word, he says, is different. You eat, the more you eat, the more hungry you are. And I will hear sinners be like, I just, I'm, uh, I'm not on fire. Or I'm falling away from God or I'm, I'm really caught in this sin. And I'll, what's your diet? How much are you presenting? Well, I just, God feels so distant, so I'm just staying away. Saints, I'm a pastor, and if I don't go to church every Sunday to hear the word, to be fellowship, to have the uh, uh, forgiveness, the, the sacraments, I feel it. The temptation rises. The hawk gets angrier. 
So I want us to see in this that there is a law, and some of you need to hear that, that there still is law, and we're going to be judged according to it, and there's no hope, so give up now. Come to Christ through faith, and if you're in Christ, there is therefore no condemnation. No condemnation means no guilt. Absolutely, whoo. But there is a sin nature. Don't feed the beast. Don't feed the beast. Shepherd the saint with the word of God, with men and women of God that can nurture that and give all the glory to God for sending the Savior. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love that conquered over our rebellious and hard hearts. We thank you that, Lord, we, there's not something wrong with us when we sin. You're not, you're not happy with it. You're, 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 it's not good. We shouldn't just say, oh, we're just as sinners because Christ's spirit dwells within us too. Help us to feed our inner man. Help our inner man that delights in the Lord. Lord, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Help us to encourage each other. Help churches to rise up and shepherd their people according to the word. Help us to not run away from you, but run to you. Thank you for the grace that is ours through Jesus Christ. And it's in his wonderful name we pray. Amen.